You may be seated and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 in your Bibles. This morning we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. Really, we're going to read from verses 2 to 9, but really focus um, on verse 8 and the back half of verse 9. So Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the reading of it and we thank you for blessing that and we would ask, oh Lord, now that you would bless its preaching. Again, teach us of yourself that we may know you, that we may glorify you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Casey and I had a a chance to go out on Wednesday night and we had this restaurant in mind that we wanted to go to up kind of near Charlotte and and. So we, we get in the car, we find a sitter for the kids, and then uh, we go. And we pull in the restaurant parking lot, and it's, it's, it's a chain of restaurants, but this one looks a little bit different. It had this, this word, digital kitchen, beside the name of the restaurant. But like, oh, okay, well, we, we love the restaurant, so, you know, we'll go in, we'll check it out. You know, I, I, we were expecting a certain type of food that we had been longing for for a long time. It's been like a year since we've been there. We walk in the restaurant, and what we find is not what we expected. Um, We actually found out the meaning to those words, digital kitchen, when we walked in. We walk in, there's there's a few tables, but they're all empty. There's no cashier, there's no cash register, there's no place where you you build the bowl that you want to eat. There's there's nothing. There's just, just this place where you stand and wait, and then there's a kitchen in the back with kind of a barrier in between. It's just very weird. And so we're standing there, we're like, this, this doesn't look right. You know, this doesn't, uh, something, something about this, this is not the same thing. And eventually someone walks in, grabs their food off of the counter and then walks right back out. And then another person comes in and grabs their food off the counter and goes, goes out. And, and apparently what this is, is this place where you, you order online and you go in and you pick your food up and you leave. Like you don't, you don't order your food in line, you don't get to look and see and pick and choose what you want. And so this is, that's not the experience that we were looking for. So we were like, you know, you know how you walk out of the restaurant that you wanted to go to and you have to go find another restaurant and that, uh, you know. 
So that was a whole ordeal. So we just get in the car and we kind of start driving back in the direction of home. We had a couple kind of last ditch choices that we would go to if we made it this far, but... But on the way up there, I had seen this other restaurant, this, this new Mexican restaurant. That, I mean, on the outside, it, they had renovated the building. It looked very nice. I mean, um, I was like, why don't, why don't we just try that one? And so reluctantly, she lets me pull in, and then we kind of look at the, the reviews on Yelp, and then reluctantly, we get to walk inside, and after we see that there's five stars, and so we walk inside, we finally get a table, we sit down, we order our drinks, and a few minutes go by, pr- probably more minutes than I, than really, uh, but, but a few minutes ago, it seemed like a long time. And there were no chips and salsa. <laughs> and we're, you, you get that question. You're like, you know, I'm asking in my mind, like, where, where are the chips and salsa? Because, and the reason I'm asking that question in my mind is because we've been trained, right? We've been trained that when we go and sit down in a Mexican restaurant, that my chips and salsa are almost waiting there for me. I mean, they beat everything else out. Like when you think Mexican restaurant, you think automatically chips and salsa. And so I asked the waiter where they are, and he, he, he brought them right out. But the question kind of residing in my mind was like, where are they? Why, why are they not here? Because I was thinking in my head that, that automatically they should, they should be there. We're going to tie this into Philippians 4. <laughs> Maybe as you were reading Philippians 4, as I was reading Philippians 4 a moment ago, Especially as we got down into verses uh, six or eight and following, or I'm sorry, six and following, where it talks about don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be known to God. And then in verse seven, where it talks about the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then fast forward down to verse nine at the end, where Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. you know, perhaps as we were reading the passage, you were thinking, you know, the Bible talks a lot about the peace of God and the Bible talks a lot about Christians that should be at peace. But why am I never at peace? Why why do I never experience that? I mean, it, the Bible does talk a lot about peace. I mean, and it talks about peace in the way that, that God has given his people peace. It's a, it's a gift from God Almighty. It talks about it in the Old Testament that his people should be at peace. It's all over the Psalms, but it's also in the New Testament, right? When Jesus heals the woman with the flow of blood, what does he say? He says, go, uh, your faith has made you well, but he says, go in peace, in John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. In John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Romans 2, 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In every one of Paul's epistles almost, how does he open it? Grace and peace be to you. And then even in this passage, twice, in these short amount of verses, twice in verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, 4 9, for what, I, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Peace, 
the Bible says, is a gift from God that Christians have been given that we are entitled to enjoy. Christians are supposed to be the most at peace people on the face of the earth. Why? Because we also know that that Jesus' death on the cross has given us peace with one another. We're going to look at that at Ephesians chapter 2 tonight. But even more importantly than that, it's given me peace with God the Father who had every right to pour out his wrath and his condemnation on me, but yet Jesus has given me peace with him. And and that's supposed to translate into peace in my heart, knowing that God is my father, knowing that my father is in control of all things and knowing that I belong to him as his child. When the Bible talks about peace, it, it talks about it in the sense of it's ours, it's yours. But yet again, So rarely do we feel it. So rarely are we actually at peace. We're so prone to so much anxiety, to so much unrest, and so much unsettling in our hearts. But but why? Right? If God has given his people peace, why do I never experience it? Well, maybe it's because we, we view peace like we do chips and salsa. Like we we think that it's maybe kind of automatic to the Christian life. That the moment that I become a Christian that I'm never going to experience anxiety and unrest and unease and all of those things ever again or never be tempted to do them again. I think this passage teaches us a little bit different view of kind of how to view peace in the Christian life. Does peace come to us like chips and salsa do at the mess? No, it doesn't. This passage teaches us that that peace coincides with self-control, with intentional holiness, not only in our actions, that's what it says in verse nine, but in our thoughts, in our heads. In other words, peace is something that Christians must cultivate, something that takes directed thought, directed intention, something that takes self-control and purpose and effort in our thoughts. That's what verse eight is actually saying. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In this verse, you, you, you've heard, you kind of hear the repetition, you hear the rhythm, right? In this verse, Paul gives us kind of eight clauses that should be descriptors of our thoughts, right? They're like, those, you know, you've seen those tasting wheels or those flavor wheels where, you know, people drink coffee and they can taste a lot better than I can and they can pick out the flavors that they taste in those coffees, right? These descriptors should be things that we ought to be able to point to our thoughts and say, oh, yes, that's true, Oh, yes, that's pure. Oh, yes, that's commendable. Oh, yes, that's honorable. Yes, that's lovely. Yes, that's excellent and praiseworthy. Yes, that's just. These are descriptors that ought to fit the running dialogue that is in our heads. But, But really, what do they mean? Well, I mean, most of them are pretty simple, but I mean, really, one of the greatest ways to understand them is really kind of by comparing them to their opposite, to uh, comparing them to their inverse, right? Paul's saying that our, our thoughts should be true, not false, right? They ought to be in accord with what is real and right and not wrong. 
right? Our thoughts should be, they should be honorable or noble, not filthy and unholy. In other words, if our thoughts were exposed before the world, we would not shrink back in shame. Or we should think our thoughts as if we're thinking them before the Lord God Almighty, like Psalm 139 says that we are. Our thoughts should be just or right, not unjust or wrong. Our thoughts should be pure. That's the word relating to sexual purity, not not wicked or perverse. Our thoughts should be lovely, not distasteful. Our thoughts should be commendable, not contemptible. Our thoughts should be excellent, not atrocious. Our thoughts ought to be praiseworthy, not worthy of of God's wrath and condemnation. What is, what is he saying? What, what, what should our thoughts be then? Are you saying that our thoughts ought never to be out of touch or contrary to the God before whom they are thought? Right? Our thoughts ought to never be out of touch or contrary to the God before whom they are thought. Which means, very simply, that All thoughts are not good thoughts. In other words, that that the content of our thinking should not include everything, but it should include the right things. Could it be that, that the reason that our own heads are so inhospitable sometimes is because we think about and we engage every single thought that kind of passes by. Christian, what's Paul saying here? He's saying that you're not free to think everything because in stating the right things to think, he's also stating that there are wrong things to think. That the content of my thoughts ought not to include everything but the right things if I want to enjoy the peace of God and the God of peace. There are good things and there are bad things to think. I mean, going back to kind of the, the, the dating illustration, if you've, if you've been married for any amount of time, ladies, I'm gonna try to help you through this sermon. We've got a, we've got a kind of a running dialogue over here that talks about dating. Um, and I'm gonna try to give some pointers, lessons hard learned from here. But if you've been married or even dating for any amount of time, you've realized by now that, that let's be honest, there are, there are dates that you've been on that were really good, that were memorable, that you're gonna, you're gonna remember for the rest of your life. You can still taste the food. The conversation was wonderful. It was great. But there are also dates that you've been on that were <laughs> not that, right? that were not great, that were not wonderful. I mean, somehow it seems that about three out of five, t- five times that Casey and I go on a date, we wind up with live music like right there. <laughs> and so instead of enjoying each other, we enjoy yelling at each other so that we can actually, yeah, that's the only way to keep up a conversation. But it does stand at bare minimum that some of the dates that you've been on were, were great and some of them, eh, not, not so much. The same thing with your thoughts. It stands that some of your thoughts 
are really good and they're really glorious and they're great for your heart, they're great for your soul, they're great for your mind, they're great for your strength, they, they just invigorate you, but you've got some other thoughts up in here that, that are not so good, that are bad and destructive and that they, they drain all of the life out of you. There are, there are good thoughts and there are bad thoughts. And we ought not to think those bad ones, those inverse ones of what Paul mentions in verse 8. And it's going to take a bit of work to correct that. I mean, you realize that, that, you have, that this is going to take some work, which is why that Paul issues this imperative, this command at the end of the verse. He says, think about these things. It's a command. He's telling the Philippians, think about these things. Meditate on these things. Continually consider these things. The verb's meaning is, is not that we, you know, just kind of think about them once just for a moment, but it's something that we continually do, continually work at and strive towards to control and be intentional about what's going on up here. And again, just to be abundantly clear, verse 8 is not in the form of an indicative, right? He's not just giving you information that's good for you to know. It's a command. It's an imperative, right? God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit are telling us to do something, telling us to to think about certain things. Strengthened by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to do something. To do something. And one of those things is, I think, how do we we actually put that imperative together how do we put that command? How do we, what does it actually mean? What is it, what is it, when we break it down, what does it actually mean up here? I think at least part of that is defined as using self-control, right? That's exactly what it takes. It takes self-control. It takes saying no to all of the opposites of those things in verse eight. It takes saying no to that which is false, to that which is filthy, to that which is unjust, to that which is wicked, to that which is distasteful and contemptible and atrocious and which is due to the wrath of God. Right, God has commanded me to think about these good things and to exercise spirit-born self-control in saying no to all those other things. Now, uh, just a bit of clarification. Am I saying that you can never engage with hard thoughts no that's not what I'm saying that's not what the Bible says all of us have thoughts hard thoughts that we have to wrestle with that we have to pray through that we have to talk with each other about and work through them right that's not what I'm saying I'm talking all those things when when something is inappropriate for the certain time or whether it's false or whatever those things all those opposite categories of verse 8 that's what I'm saying don't think and when it does come time to to handle those hard thoughts right the hard truths that we have to wrestle with right scroll back up to verse 6 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Just as an aside here for a moment, when, when it goes, when we go to have, uh, think those hard thoughts, think them in a conversation with God, with your Bibles open, with your brother or sister giving a listening ear. Don't do it alone. But kind of back, back to the, the, the point that I'm trying to make, which is saying no to those bad, to those evil thoughts, to all those opposites in verse eight. Right, it takes self-control. It takes saying no to those things. Right, back to this, this dating illustration. In order to, to set yourself up to have a good date, there are things that you actively have to say no to. Right? There are things you actively have to not do in order to have a good date, right? Right? You, know, you get a babysitter, you leave the house. You're not gonna go by the Y and sweat for an hour before you go to Ruth's Chris to sit down and have a steak. You're not gonna do that. Right? You're not gonna dress up nicely in your evening attire and you know, get, get all, you know, find the babysitter, get all, do all the work, dress up, and go sit down at McDonald's. Like You're not gonna do that. You're not gonna plan a 45-minute business call on the drive there or while you're eating. You're not gonna do those things. You're saying, actively saying no to certain things in order to be able to enjoy this time with your wife, your husband. In the same way, in order to live a holy life before the God who knows our thoughts, we have to actively choose not to think that which is sinful or bad or harmful for us to think. Like what, pastor? I think mainly here of, of lies. Right, those thoughts that tell you, you know, that you're worthless because the house is a mess, because the kids are running around mostly naked except for the hopefully washable marker, you know, from head to toe. Like your worth is not based on all those other things. Don't think that thought. You have to say no to those thoughts that you'd be ashamed for your grandmother in heaven to see, right? The ones that perhaps maybe are not pure. You have to say no to those. You have to say no to those thoughts that are, that are kind of truth, that's, that's coupled with lies, you know, a little bit of lies and a little bit of truth, right? Those ones that, you know, the tip of the iceberg, yeah, it looks truthful, this, 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 this is true, this is, this is a true assessment of what's going on while everything under the water is from the devil himself. Like, you know, reasoning in your head, you know, God hates sin, I'm sinful, and therefore he hates me. Like, if you're in Christ, don't think that thought. That is untrue. Those are lies, right? Those thoughts that are really lies about God, right? If, if God were good, and he would make my life easy. And see how that may sound good. But in reality, it's the absolute opposite of what God uses suffering for. God uses suffering for our good. Right? There are thoughts that we ought not to think, thoughts that lead to anxiety or depression or that make you hate yourself because they're partial thoughts, because they're not complete, they're not whole, they're not had in conversation with God and his word. Right? Don't think those thoughts that bypass the filter which is the word of God. 
Don't think those thoughts that are thought away from and separate from the word of God. I mean, none of you would go to Lake Wiley and drink water straight from the lake. I mean, most of you probably wouldn't even get in it, much less drink it. Like you, you only, only way you're gonna drink that water is if it's gone through a filter after filter after filter, and then we're gonna add some chlorine just to make sure. Why would you think terrible thoughts, inaccurate thoughts, untrue thoughts in the same way? But our minds are to be shaped and complemented by the word of God itself. Right? Don't let your thing, you know, don't, don't think those things. Right? By saying no to those bad thoughts, you are well on your way to enjoying the peace of God and the God of peace. Right? By exercising self-control not only with your actions, that's included in verse nine, by exercising self-control with your thinking, you are well on your way to enjoying the God of peace and the peace of God. But simply saying no to bad thoughts is not the whole kit and caboodle, right? Right? A bad thought that's said no to or a bad thought that's gotten rid of is simply really just a vacuum for another one to come in and fill that space. Which is why we have to intentionally interject that which is good. Right? And that's the thrust behind what Paul's saying in verse eight. He's saying, you know, by, by saying one thing, he's not saying another, but, but here is where we kind of get to where the rubber meets the road. We have to intentionally think about, that's what he's saying, think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. How many of us ever spend any time thinking about our thinking? Probably not many of us. But that's exactly what Paul is telling us to do here. He's saying that it takes effort and intention. It takes intentionality. It takes purpose to think right thoughts. That thinking right thoughts not only takes self-control, but it takes effort. It takes perfect purpose. It takes trying. It takes planning. That's what we mean by being intentional. It takes reminding yourself of the word of God. It takes reminding yourself of who you are in Christ. It takes focusing your mind as you open the word of God to hear his voice. It takes intention. You have to do it on purpose. Now, you don't think right thoughts without trying and planning and purposing to think those right thoughts. And you can remember those good dates, a lot of them, the ones that are memorable, the ones that you will think about for a long time. Some of them, maybe not on purpose, but most of them is because you put thought and intention. You intentionally, this is a lesson for me, looked up when they were gonna have live music at the restaurant and didn't go to that one or didn't go on that night. Right, you intentionally pick somewhere that your spouse would enjoy 
right? You, did, you, you chose your restaurant before you went. You, those good dates, good dates, men, take doing it on purpose, take intentionality. So does godly thinking. And before you kind of get overwhelmed with, you know, oh, pastor, you're, it's too much of a burden. It's too hard. Can't do that. That effort and that purpose and that self-control are all things that have been graciously given to us in Christ. God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Right? This gift of self-control and intentionality of doing things on purpose is a gift given from God to his church. Look how Paul addresses the people in verse eight. Finally, brothers, brothers, church, this is your gift. If you believe in Jesus, this is your gift. This is our right and reward that we have been given the freedom to control what goes on in our minds. Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. We've been given freedom to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit right, is love and joy and peace. What else is in that list? And patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit, but so is self-control. Right, thinking Rightly, thinking your thoughts before God Almighty is not a labor for which you have not been equipped. Right? God has equipped you through his spirit. He has equipped you because of Christ. Right? Romans 6, 14, sin will no longer have dominion over you, but you know what, what, what will have dominion over you? The spirit of God. In other words, Christ has given us, his people, the freedom to work hard in this area. He's given you his spirit so that you can be intentional about what you think. He's, he's given you his spirit so that you can intentionally think right thoughts and intentionally deny bad thoughts a home inside of your head. So what I'm saying is this, by, by being intentional with your thoughts, you are well on your way to enjoying the peace of God and the God of peace. So what, what, are we, what are we concluding in this particular sermon? We're, we're concluding that, that carefulness with our thoughts is the pathway towards enjoying both the peace of God and the God of peace. Right? That carefulness with our thoughts, that's how, that's the road towards, that's the pathway towards enjoying both the peace of God and the God of peace. I mean, we left out verse nine. We're not gonna have time to get there today. But also, right, practicing good things, practicing godly things is also the pathway towards enjoying the God of peace. But it starts up here. It starts with distinguishing between good thoughts and bad thoughts and then exercising self-control with those bad thoughts and then exercising intentionality with those good thoughts, right? This is the way to enjoying the peace of God.
This is the way towards peace, being careful with what we do up here. If you actually read all of those descriptors in verse eight, you wouldn't, it'd be hard not to think of the Lord Jesus, right? He is the one who personifies all of those descriptors. The Lord Jesus is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. All of those things. And so one of the applications of this sermon would be to spend a bit more time giving concerted thought, meditating upon the Lord Jesus himself, actively leading yourself into concerted thought upon the Lord who is the embodiment of all these descriptors. Right, the one who is verse eight personified. Another application of the sermon is to actively have a conversation with the Lord Jesus who is all of these things in personified human form when you go to engage those hard, difficult thoughts. Don't think apart from the one who is all of these things. A third one might be to actually give the Lord Jesus of Psalm 23 a home in your head, to be intentional about reminding yourself of the Jesus who is your shepherd and provides all of your needs. To actually think about the Lord Jesus who makes you to lie down in green pastures and leads you beside still waters. To think about the Jesus who restores your soul, to think about the Jesus who leads you in paths of righteousness for your namesake. To think about the Jesus who walks you through the valley of the shadow of death that you might not fear evil. To think about the Jesus who is with you with his rod and his staff comforting you. To think about the Jesus who prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. To think about the Jesus who anoints your head with oil, who makes your cup Overflow, who, the Jesus who pursues you with goodness and mercy all the days of your life, to think about the Jesus who shall, with whom you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To intentionally consider and ponder Christ himself. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Providentially, as it wound up, wound up we, we prayed Psalm 139 earlier. And we know again that you are the God who knows everything that comes across through our minds. You know the thoughts of our head. And yet again, Lord, you choose not to forsake us in light of those things. And Father, we would pray that Christ Jesus would occupy a lot more square footage in our minds. We pray, O Lord, that by the power of your spirit that we would say no to those things in our heads which are sinful, which are abhorrible, which are false, and that we would intentionally 
think godly thoughts. We know, O Lord, that you are the God of your people, and so we pray and we know that you can help. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.